This is NFL.com's Coaches Show Podcast. 40 men together can't lose. This is why you lift all them weights. Everybody's driving out there. Nobody's got them. And now we're going. There's a gleam, men. There's a gleam. Hi, I'm Duncan Steve Mariucci here for the Coach Show Podcast. This week, we break down the divisional round games, including the return of Smash Mouth football, plus coaching rivalries and quarterback legacy. We preview the championship Sunday as Brady and Manning do battle for the AFC, and Pete Carroll faces off with Jim Harbaugh in the NFC. The Coach Show Podcast starts right now. Well, Moose, once again, we're bi-coastal. You're in San Francisco. I'm on, sitting on the Chesapeake doing the Coach Show. A great weekend of football. Let's uh, first off, like we typically end with, I don't know, what's your, what's, first, what's your takeaway from the weekend? What jumped out of you? Well, yeah, Brian, you said great weekend of football. To me, uh, you know, Super Bowl Sunday is one thing, and, of course, next weekend is another. But this week, this past weekend is my favorite. You know, you're talking about four great games, two on Saturday, two on Sunday. And really, it's uh, the Elite Eight, the best teams. It, it, it usually comes down to the best teams. Not a lot of surprises each year. But uh, you see the best of the best, and uh, we we were not disappointed. It was fantastic, and and uh, and it, what what happens is it sets up these great matchups for next week. That I think, I think deep down inside, many people were rooting for. You know, to to see the, the Broncos face the Patriots again. Are you kidding me? And then uh, to see this rival coming up next week with Seattle and. San Francisco and this rival's not going away. It's for real. And the other thing is, Brian, you know, how long has it been since we could say the best football in the NFL is happening out west? Because yeah, I remember a couple of years ago we'd call it the NFC worst and eh, this and that. These divisions out here in the AFC West and the NFC West, very, very strong divisions. Yeah, and top to bottom, you can't you can't argue with that now. And and what jumps out at me, uh, first off, we got the right teams. Didn't we? Yeah. I mean, these, these are the best four teams in the league, start to finish. They're not not that Carolina and San Diego and Indy aren't deserving of getting there, but I think everybody would agree these are the best four teams. If you could match it up and say, "I want yeah. the best four teams playing the championship game," and and obviously the the physicality. I mean, I don't remember a championship weekend because when I was coaching, I always used to look at the the the, the divisional round and the championship weekend to say, "Okay, what." What does this say about the league? What does this say about where we're at? Are there any trends or tendencies that we need to look at? And if you looked at uh, on Saturday and Sunday, you'd have to say, hey, the running game is back. I mean, we got some good legendary quarterbacks playing, but both got in, uh, both Manning and Brady, because of the way they ran the ball on Saturday and Sunday. Well, they did, and and they have to. And, and when you start playing late in the year with the weather that we tend to see late in the year, you have to be able to run and, and all of that. But don't you think, Brian, that really that there are really differences between the AFC in general and the NFC in general? You talk about the top teams in the NFC, and I get excited about this because you know we're evolving into a passing league. All the records are, are flying down because we uh, the rules say pass more, and then we do pass more and pass more efficient, efficiently. But the old school in us, you know, we're baby boomers coaches, and the old school in us says play defense and run the ball and, and all of that. Well, we're seeing that in the NFC still, very prevalent, with not only the teams that are going on with Seattle and San Francisco, but Carolina as well. 
You're talking about some smash-mouth, good defense, run-the-football, old-school football, plus these young athletic quarterbacks that are running the show. Give it another twist, a little college twist with some of this option, as opposed to that AFC, which have those gray-beard quarterbacks that are pocket passers, really, predominantly pocket passers, and they play with their brain, they play with their arm from the pocket for the most part, and, and it's, it's almost polar opposites in some ways between the NFC best and the AFC best. And, and those two old gray-beard quarterbacks you're talking about, Brady and Manning, what struck me was, you know, coming into the Denver game, you you kind of knew that John Pagano and the formula was, you know, ball control and run the ball offensively, defensively, get them off the field and, and control the clock, as they did the two games during the regular season. And you wondered, okay, how's this going to play out in Denver? And, and both Brady and Manning, their willingness, their commitment to running the ball. Brady was easy. You know, that's what they needed to do. Mm-hmm. They felt good about it. That's been their strength. But even in Denver, I mean, you could see uh, San Diego just saying, okay, we, we dare you to keep running. And Peyton just kept saying, okay, I'm, I'm, you keep giving me these fronts. You keep giving me this number count. I mean, when was the last time you thought you'd go into the divisional round and you'd see Tom Brady only throw the ball 25 times very well, no touchdowns, no interceptions, and Peyton Manning threw it 36 times, which is, you know, typical Peyton Manning, maybe a little bit of low. But the fact that they ran the ball 34 times for 133 yards, uh, both these quarterbacks very true to the idea that I don't care how we win it, I don't care how, how yeah. we score as long as we win, I don't care what my numbers are. Very unselfish, and, and those two guys – uh, probably more so than anybody in the league, you know, play the game from the line of scrimmage and call most of their plays based on what you see. You talked about the box count, and and I think they take into account the weather. They take into account the number count of the box, of course, the score of the game, the uh, the time of possession, and they're very smart that way. And if they have to run the ball more often, they will do that. If they have to wing it, they certainly can do that. And then the thing that we saw new, a little bit different this week, uh, and everybody's talking about this, Omaha, Omaha. Brian, what do you make of all that stuff? We're all talking about Omaha. Well, I think Peyton's born in Omaha, right? Isn't he just trying to get the uh, – <laughs> uh, uh, Was he? Talk, yeah, let, let's talk through that a little bit. Uh, and, and from my perspective, and it's probably the same as yours, obviously, Peyton, like you said, no one does more at the line. And anybody that's watched Peyton Manning practice, it's a constant evolution of verbiage, real and also imagined. There are real words. There are code words. There are fake words. You have to say words in combination. Omaha, for me, has always been an outside run. That was always the kind of when you check to it and, and everybody, you know, sometimes it's Omaha, sometimes it's Oklahoma, sometimes whatever. Um, and, and I'm sure that's what it was at some point for Peyton. But it's a combination. Omaha could very well mean something on a given snap, but it has to be in conjunction with something else. You could clearly see, what they have, six um, uh, neutral zone violations? So obviously they yeah. thought they knew what Omaha meant or that when Omaha was called, then what the pacing was afterwards. And Peyton was just playing with them. And it means a lot of different things. But it's the typical Tom Brady. Everybody does the same thing. Different code words that mean different things, but they've got to be in conjunction with one another to have any real valid purpose. Well, and then when you think you're going to crack the Morse code, all right, and figure out what it is, they'll change it from game to game or quarter to quarter. You've got to remember Mike McCoy 
was there in uh, in Denver with Peyton. And so, you know, maybe they're trying to say, hey, this, when he says this, it means that, and when he says this, it means that. So uh, a lot of these words are uh, snap count signals, too, and they're live audibles with plays, and they change it from time to time. And, and they, he, he, I didn't hear the word, hurry, hurry. Uh, which which seems to be spreading a little bit around the league. I hear that now and then, um, meaning, hey, I'm ready for the ball, snap the darn thing. And they use the word Omaha a little bit like that, too. But if, as soon as you think you might study it and listen to everything he ever says, eh, forget about it because they're going to change it the next week. And I think you just got to play ball. Those defensive linemen have got to learn to watch the snap from the center. Otherwise, you're going to get you're going to get called off sides, just like these these smart quarterbacks can make you jump. So it's a lot of fun to try to listen to them, but yeah, don't get uh, don't be thinking that you're going to figure it out because they're going to change it uh, as often as they need to. Yeah, back in the day when I was in Minnesota with John Turling, who ended up going to Indianapolis with with Peyton yeah. as a defensive line coach, was one of the first I remember going by a defensive line meeting. They would they would have the TV copy of the game we were doing, yeah. the team we were playing in and there. Listen play to your calls, sure. Yeah, the snap counts and whatever, which is all well and good until, like you say, you think you crack the code and you do something, then all of a sudden you realize they've okie doked you, they've changed it. Now all the time and preparation you put into thinking this means this and that means that, and then it all goes because now you don't trust anything. Um, the fact that they, they uh, you know, signed Branch in Indianapolis, that people thought, oh, they're going to know Peyton's uh, or they're going to know uh, Brady's uh, verbiage now. Well, no way. There's no way that was well, going to be a big because they were going to change everything and play off what you think you know. When you and I were coaching, there was about 12 teams running some versions of the West Coast offense, and and uh, oftentimes the uh, audibles, the live colors, red or black or whatever that went, you know, uh, would be very similar. Um, so we would even script in the first 15 dummy audibles and try to get them thinking that it might be something else. And then and then uh, we tell our defense, don't worry about anything because they're dummy audibles early. And so it's 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 kind of a guess a guessing game, but it's kind of fun to watch. Um, we'll see what he says next week. Maybe it's Omaha. Maybe it's hurry hurry. Maybe it's uh, maybe it's Baltimore. I don't know. Fairness, he doesn't want to be too. Uh bias so maybe it ought to be Lincoln you know we instead of Omaha let's give Lincoln Nebraska some love and balance Jeez. it up so let's talk uh, about uh, the two two young quarterbacks we got you know and uh, obviously we got two young ones still in it and we've got Colin Kaepernick and Andrew uh or excuse me uh, uh Russell Wilson going at one another let's talk about the two young quarterbacks that lost Andrew Luck and and Cam Newton Andrew Luck obviously brilliant and has come from behind win against Kansas City but, but again, now turnovers, he wasn't able to overcome the turnovers he had against New England. And as great as this young man is and as good as he is and is going to be, uh, he's, he's talking about cracking the code. He's got to crack the code on some of these turnovers. Well, you know, what you want to see out of your young quarterbacks, and we've had, you and I both have had them, you want to see improvement from one year to the next. And his first year, his rookie year, even though he won a lot of games, came back from behind in several games, um, the things that I remember talking about this in the preseason where he has to get better is reducing turnovers, hitting a higher completion of uh, passes, uh, avoiding the sack, you know, those sort of things that are just uh, just hard on a team to overcome. And he did that this year. They didn't turn the ball over nearly as much. And, 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 and all of those things I mentioned he improved on in his sophomore year. 
But you got to remember what he's, how he's built. This guy's a real confident kid, and he trusts his arm, and he will fit it in there. He's got a little Brett Favre sometimes in him where he says, I can get this in there, and he will take some chances. And, and that's what uh, can bite you against a good team uh, when you least expect it. So late in the season, you know, yeah, he, he threw the four picks, and then Ken's Kansas City threw some picks too, and he had to come from behind. Um, but I, I, I know he finished by turning the ball over a little more than he wanted to. But by and large, I think his year was of uh, one of a real good improvement and a steady climb towards being one of those great players that we think he'll be. Well, I'll put the question to you. I've been asked already a couple times today uh, with the radio shows that I do. Got some good young quarterback, and I'm with you. You know, he, he will continue to improve. This guy's got such a huge upside, such a great quarterback. But of the young guns, and let's let's talk about Russell Wilson, Andrew Luck, Colin Kaepernick. Uh, I'll even throw RG three in there. And um, if if you could only have one, which one would you take? Probably Andrew Luck, but I'm sitting right here uh, not too far from the 49er facility, and this Kaepernick kid amazes me a little bit. And then that Russell Wilson guy up, up north uh, is really special. Uh, we, see, uh, we see eye to eye. We're 5'10 and a half. Um, RG3's fascinating to watch. I can't wait till he gets healthy and, and plays again next year. Uh, you know, if you're making me choose one, I, maybe it's Andrew Luck, but I love them all. I think, I think the league is in good shape with a good, young, exciting group. And you fail to mention Cam, uh, because I think he's making some strides too. He is. And his, his, um, you know, he, he has made a transformation this year. Understandably disappointed his body language. And, and that was a little more reminiscent of last year after the loss. They obviously felt like they were going to come in here and win this thing. As every team does, every team in the yeah. playoffs thinks they're a team of destiny right up to the point that they lose. I think he has, you know, transformed to a degree. I still, of that group, I think Cam, I think we just got to get used to Cam Newton. He's going to look different, a little like Ben Roethlisberger in the sense that he just, he's not going to look like Manning. He's not going to look like Breeze or Rodgers. He gets it done in a different way. Mm-hmm. I just don't know that his efficiency, his throwing action, uh, that touch that you look for out of a quarterback, that's just not him. Can he win what, what he's doing? Sure. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that he's going to be on a par with Andrew Luck. And I'm with you. I, I love Colin Kaepernick. I just, I'm so I'm mesmerized by his physical ability to throw the ball. Uh, but Cam Newton, I think he's at that point. We just got to get used to this is what he is, and it's pretty good. Yeah, he won 12 games. And, uh, you know, I know I don't I don't know why people have a thing about he's got that towel over his head, you know. I mean, he's done that forever. And RG3 wears a sleeve over his arm. And, uh, you know, people have these things. And uh, I, I just I just look at his maturing over the last three years and even past his college days. And, and I think uh, they're going to be a good team. And they're not going away. They've got a good defense. Uh, when they get some more weapons around, I think they're going to get another receiver or two, and uh, they're going to be they're going to be there. They're not going away. Uh, before we get on to the previews, there was one other player everybody's talking about at the end of the, the uh, New Orleans Seattle game, which was darn good football game. I thought New Orleans, you know, they they tried to do the right thing. They came in whooping, and I remember watching game day morning. You guys, uh, after you, we were done on game day first. Uh, you guys had a great shot of, of uh, Jimmy Graham and them, and they were wolfing on one another. That's not New Orleans' game. Once that started, I thought, they're dead. Seattle's going to kill these guys. Really? Let's, let's go to the very end when Colston kind of threw that. Let's, let's talk about how that happens, because I think that's just the play they had called. 
and he was unaware that it might have been smarter to maybe just step out of bounds, but they were going to do that deep comeback and then throw it across the field and try to make another uh, yeah. Music City miracle happen. The band is on the field, and I and we see that every now and then at the end of a game, and I and I think Marcus Golston thought maybe this was going to be the last play, and and uh, it wasn't. There was there was a second to the last play, really, and, and stepping out of bounds is the thing to do there. Um, you'd think that would have been reminded uh, to him and to the entire ho- offense uh, in the huddle prior to that snap. You know, if we, if we catch it, get out of bounds for one more shot, and then you can throw that stuff uh, around and lateral and everything. But it was unfortunate that they didn't have another shot to the end zone uh, with one more play because he certainly would have just caught it and stepped out of bounds. And I think there was, what, six or seven seconds left to go. And then, uh, you, you know, you remember the Cal Stanford. Were you at Stanford oh, then, or were you just thinking no, about no, it? That, even you and I aren't that old. Yeah, that was We're not that old, but we've seen it a million times. Oh, and, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, you've got to practice that, and you've got to have fun with it. And how does how many times does it, does it present itself once or twice a year in an entire season? Um, but but anyway, I think he was a little premature in thinking they were going to do the lateral play. Uh, let's move on to uh, to a preview of Sunday's games. Let's start with the 49ers and the Seahawks. And of course, everybody to begin with wants to talk about this Pete Carroll Jim Harbaugh rivalry. Let well, first off, did you did you, in all the years you were coaching, was there a guy that you really was you know was your rival was there a guy you just really wanted to beat more than anybody else besides me you know you said it i was just going to say that Brian. i was going to say yeah brian billick big rival from way way back in the day when i was at cal state fullerton and you were at san diego state we were state system guys um, <laughs> you know what and i and i was trying to i'm trying to think of who i really just hated and I don't think there's anybody. I I, uh, I respect this coaching profession, this fraternity too much, but I think the special games might be Brian, the guys that I knew the best, guys that I worked with, uh, went through the battles with. For example, I, I was on Mike Holmgren's staff in Green Bay. A lot of us young coaches were, and then uh, when we got a chance to be head coaches, I guess it'd be a little family kind of rivalry between myself and Mike Holmgren. We, we played each other several times when he was in Green Bay and Seattle. And then Andy Reid was my roommate, and he became a head coach, and we had some battles. John Gruden uh, was on our staff, and we had some battles when he was with the Raiders and Tampa. I remember the first time when I was coaching the Niners and Gruden was with the Raiders. It was his first year, I think, and, and uh, we were over there. And I said, hey, Gru- we were talking before the game like, you know, like we do, right? I said, Groots, I'm going to go down to the black hole and intimidate those guys. He said, Mooch, don't go down there, man. I don't even go down there. I'm scared of those guys. <laughs> those were fun rivals, you know, because they were people that you kind of grew up in the league with. And, uh, you know, it was like a brother against brother in the backyard. You just want to win, you know. How about you? Yeah, for me it was, you know, you go back to the divisions back when, uh, when Tennessee was in the AFC Central when I first got started. Uh, we, we still had the AFC Central, and of course, Jacksonville and Tennessee were still in there with us in Pittsburgh and Cincinnati and Cleveland. And and it seemed like, naturally Pittsburgh, because that was our biggest rival, although Bill Cowher and I never really, because it was, a, it was a, just a ferocious, competitive, you know, hate one another, but, but it really was just more competitive. Tennessee was the one that we just, you know, the proverbial, we just didn't like one another. And, and I don't know that... Uh, that it didn't extend to, to me and Jeff Fisher a little bit, mostly because 
when one of us won, it really cost the other. You know, they still, they still, I, I still have to uh, have an armed escort anytime I go back into Nashville because uh, they still feel <laughs> like I stole their Super Bowl. Because, you know, they were the number one seed in 13 mm-hmm. and 3 and whatever, and we went in there and beat them on, our, on the way to our Super Bowl. Um, and, and they likewise knocked us out of a couple things. So, you know, it was, but it was a rivalry more based around the competitive, mm-hmm. you know, the winning and losing as opposed to something personal, you know, because you're right. I mean, you coaches, then we get to the, we get to the owners' meetings and everybody's, you know, going and having drinks together and just uh, having a good old time. And, yeah, I, I, I don't think that. And I don't think the rivalry Pete Carroll and Jim Harbaugh, even though it goes back to the Stanford SC days, I think we're past that. It's just very competitive. Uh, and, be, and there's a lot on the line. There's going to be a lot on the line on Sunday when these two teams face one another. And, what, you know, what do they say? Familiarity breeds contempt. And these guys are very familiar with one another. Yeah, and, I, you know, there's – there's really something there. I mean, I'm I'm just telling you right now. There's a real something there, and it's, it comes all the way back to that. What's your deal, Bull? And right. uh, and and these two guys. I, I I don't know if it's true, but I've been told one of their wives went up to the one the other coach and said, "Hey, why don't you guys talk to each other here? Get you know, have a drink together at the league meetings because." And I and I and I, I was told they did quickly, but. Um, it's uh, a little unusual, you know, but man alive, the Stanford SC thing really got heated. It just did. And then uh, this, this, this is the new big rival in the National Football League right now, Seattle, San Francisco. Let's face it, it is because the because of the you know they're the same division, they're in the same time zone, they're over here. There's a, there's they play the same kind of intimidating defensive football, and with these athletic quarterbacks, there's so much in common. And then. Uh, you know, then then we just check and see if they shake hands after the game or not, and that's uh, yeah, good stuff. I love it. Great stuff. What? Uh, okay, let's let's preview it. Uh, preview it, I should say. Uh, you're, you're right. These guys, they're kind of carbon copies of one another. Degree. They're playing great defense. They've got a front four that can put pressure on you with just their front four. Um, they, they're both committed to the running the ball. There's no question about it. Both their quarterbacks are capable of making plays with their legs outside the design of the offense. So all those things being the same, uh, to me it kind of comes down, we kind of said the same thing about Carolina uh, and San Francisco. All being That being said, I think the 49ers and Kaepernick, and the he has more weapons outside than does uh, Russell Wilson. So I kind of see 49ers maybe, even though it's going into Seattle in that tough environment, I kind of think the 49ers are going to match up well. I do too, and and you know the last two times Colin Kaepernick went up there to Seattle, really they were his two worst games, and with turnovers and just not being able to complete passes or even score points. But two things come to my mind: uh, the last time these two teams played, the 49ers found a way to win here in Candlestick, and then when you look at the last month of the season, to me the Niners are playing better football. A lot of it, held, a lot of it is because. Michael Crabtree's back, and they're seven and zero with the kid uh, because he helps not only in the passing game, but he he makes you play defense a little bit better, and you can't load the box with on Frank Gore as much because you got some weapons now to throw to, and so uh, I think I think the only advantage that the Seahawks have right now might be weather, but I think it's going to be okay. It's not going to be as bad as it's been in some of these games, and then they got of course they got the twelfth uh, man, which is kind of crazy up there and uh it's good to see that because that's not the case in every stadium 
But right now, the Niners are playing better football, especially on offense. And, and I, I feel bad a little bit for Russell Wilson. He's got beast mode, but he's but the, they tried to take the next step for his sophomore year to improve their passing game. Well, Percy Harvin just has been hurt, and he got hurt again. And Sidney Rice got hurt. And, you know, had they had those two guys healthy and playing every week, I think Russell's numbers would be fine. But they don't have them, and it's got to be Doug Baldwin. It's got to be Golden Tate and Jermaine Curse, And that's it, you know, with the receiving core. And I, I, think, I think, like you said, Colin Kaepernick's core is a little better. Yeah, because when you look at those guys, with all due respect, they're, they're, they're kind of pedestrian. When you compare that to Crabtree and Anquan Bolden and Vernon Davis, it just, yeah, you, you can see why. If it comes down to that, because all things being equal, it's going to come down to that passing game. And the other thing I think the 49ers going in there, they, they don't have to have a big check game. Their check game can come in whatever read option they want to do. They're very comfortable and committed to running against an eight-man front. They're not a team that's going to check out of an eight-man front. They're just going to go block it up. Uh, so I think that gives them a chance if anybody can go into Seattle, and then that'd be the only thing that would make me nervous about picking them outright, uh, is, is that it's in Seattle. But uh, I don't know. Just uh, Plus, I think yeah. the 49ers are just on that march. They get well, to the, the, the championship game and they lose. Then they get to the championship game, they win, and go to the Super Bowl and lose. I can just see them now taking that next, next step. step, winning, go to the Super Bowl, and this time winning. Well, it's the time is right because they are – when you look at their starting 22 or 24 with a kicker punter, they are the oldest, okay? And, and I don't say that as a negative. I say it as a positive. They are the most veteran group in the National Football League, the San Francisco 49ers. So if you're going to have to overcome adversity or go into somebody's home, they've already went to Lambeau in the frozen tundra and won. They've already gone to Carolina and, and, and pushed them around and won. Uh, they don't fear going up to Seattle, especially after having beat them. Uh, a month ago. So, you know, this is the type of team, a very veteran, angry kind of physical team going up there. I don't think they're going to sweat the small stuff. I think they just go in there and, and play their thing. Um, and because they're older like that, you also, their window, and I don't know that I'm a real big believer in these windows that open and shut, but it's an older team that will transition here in the next couple of years as well. So this, mm-hmm. they got to take, you know, they got to make hay, so to speak, uh, with this game as they go in. going to be it's going to be a, a bloodletting. It's going to be a physical. <laughs> let's, let's move over I to the wait. with those two old quarterbacks. And, and everybody's talking about, I, I don't quite get the, the head-to-head Manning and Brady, as though they're, they're actually physically facing one another and the numbers yeah. and this and the other. And I, I, I don't get that. I, yeah, may, maybe Manning versus Belichick. But I don't think Brady – do you think Brady, you think either one changes their game because they're playing the other? <laughs> no, but it's really juicy, isn't it? Oh, and it's uh, it's like those old time games with Bart Starr against Johnny Unitas and and uh, Jim Kelly against Marino. And here we go again with some more Hall of Fame guys that uh, that face off. And and you're right that it's not like they're in the cage fighting each other. Um, they've they've had a, you know play against each other's defenses, and those have varied over the years. But uh, it just it just makes for a good storyline. And, and and when really admit it, Brian. When the when the pre when the preseason came around and you start looking at this, don't you kind of hope deep down somewhere inside you go, I hope these two guys face off again and might as well face off in the championship game, make it more important than the division or wild card game because this is juicy stuff for the viewing audience. Oh, there's no question about that, and 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 for no other reason than you're talking about two slam dunk hall of famers and how often. 
do you get to say that? How many times do you get to see knowing going in, not after the fact, but knowing going in, these are two Hall of Famers now that, that uh, you know, this is going to, this thing, this doesn't come around all that often. So that, that's the thing that's exciting to me. They, I'm, I'm doing total access later tonight, and they threw a number out here. You probably saw it and did, did it uh, yesterday, but I wasn't aware of that Peyton Manning is 6-0 and against teams that he previously lost to during the season. And, of course, they lost to New England in New England this year. Uh, that's, that's kind of interesting. That is interesting. Maybe uh, second time around, he's learned something. Um, he's one of those brilliant guys. You've, you've told the story about him remembering something 12 years back on a blitz, and so um, he's, he's got that kind of recall. So maybe that's interesting. But, you know, you and I have both coached Hall of Fame guys before, and here we go talking about these guys again. Brian, who would you take if you, had a, if you, if you uh, wanted uh, him? Uh, come on, pick one. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Come on. I'll do, I'll do the Steve Mariucci thing like you do on game day, and I'll go, boy, they're both great, and I'd love to work with both of them. Thank you. Uh, uh, you know what? I, I'm going to say Brady only because, Brady, you get a chance to maybe coach a little bit. There you and go. He just does his own thing. You know, he just I've, – I've talked to a coach, uh, Clyde Christensen, who's the quarterback coach, been there for a long time, yeah. coordinated for a while with him, and he says this only respectfully. And, and Clyde is – we all know Clyde, fabulous coach. And I was talking with them. I had two of their uh, games in Indy uh, last year. And, and I'm visiting with Clyde and, and uh, with Peyton moving on, you know, and we're talking about Peyton Manning. And he goes, you know, yeah, I'd like to be a head coach. But, and I know being with Peyton, a lot of people, that, that can carry some credentials. He says, but I hope when I go in, they don't think I could do anything that we did when Peyton was here because I got no, no idea how we could make that work. That was just <laughs> all Peyton's deal. So I, that's a long-winded way of saying it. I'd probably go with Brady because maybe him you get to have a little input. You know, I kind of feel the same way because, you know, as coaches, we're all control freaks in some way, some deep, dark way. Um, and with Peyton, you just kind of let him do his thing, and then every now and then you go, good job. And so um, that that would be great if you're winning Super Bowls and all that stuff, which, he, you know, he does a lot and plays very well, but it would drive you a little bit nuts. But, you know, I had, a, I had some guys like Brett Favre and Steve Young, who are just the opposite. And you know how Peyton wants to control everything, the tempo, the play call, the everything. We'd, we'd be in games. I, re, I remember specifically with Steve Young coming off the sidelines in San Francisco, and it'd be third down and 10 or whatever. And I'd say, Steve, here's what I have in mind on a timeout, right? Here's what I have in mind, either this play or this play. What do you like? He'd say, Coach, will you just call the play? I don't care. I'll make it work. Call the play. And that that was so different than Peyton Manning, who runs the show, all right? Steve's, Steve wanted to say, hey, give me a play, and I'm going to make the darn thing go. That's your job. Call the game. And so, and Brett was a little bit like that, too. And so, you know, but the, the thing about it is I would probably choose Tom Brady on my team. And this is really sad, but every morning when I wake up, yeah, I, I wake up and give Gail a kiss. Good morning, hon. I wish we would have drafted Tom Brady. I still have, <laughs> in San Francisco, I still have just regrets. Like, I can't believe we didn't draft this guy. 
because it, and I know 31 other coaches feel the same way. It's like, I can't believe we didn't draft this guy. And, uh, you know, here's a kid that's right down the street from us. And he always wanted to be a 49er. And did we draft him? No, we didn't. And, uh, would things have been a little different? Maybe in San Francisco, maybe they would have. And so that's, that's oh. a regret that I carry to my grave. Um, <laughs> you remember how bad he looked at the combine? He ran the slowest 40 ever in the history of the combine quarterback. And- and when he and I remember he stood up, you know, you weigh and measure, and they have the shirts off. And I thought this kid, this kid has scurvy or something. He was he was the skinniest. <laughs> you were, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You went to that and sat in a chair and watched these kids weigh in. I I can't. And he this I thought who does this kid know? Somebody owes somebody something that this kid gets to be at the combine. He was the most pathetic-looking excuse for a physical athlete. I had, and then, so who knew? Who knew that he was going to, you know? I know it. We about giving the quarterback choices. I remember when I had Randall Cunningham. And I did the same thing because I know what you're doing. You, you have a preference, but you're trying to embolden the – you're trying to invest the quarterback in like, okay, you knew which one he was going to pick, but you wanted to, like, make it his idea. That way he's vested in it. And I used to do that with Randall Cunningham. And Randall would come over and I'd say, hey, Randall, you want to do this one or that one? And every single time he'd say, he says, whatever God wants. Really? He'd say, whatever really? God wants. Whatever God wants. Whatever. So finally, I just... Well, so what did you have to do? I'd say, well, look, could you just have him tell me directly then so we can have this conversation? <laughs> because I'm not channeled in quite the way you are with him. So... Uh, <laughs> Oh all, my God! I know all these great quarterbacks. They're all different. They're all crazy, you know. And they. All... <laughs> well, let's let's uh, let's, uh, let's handicap a little bit. Let's. Uh, how do you see this game going now? Oh my goodness! You know, if we, it came down to an overtime in a in a, in a field goal last time, and and uh, I just. I mean, if you start comparing the teams, you know, you, you compare the quarterbacks, and whether you think it's a wash or not, that's fine. But when you start comparing the teams, just take the receiving core and the supporting cast for Peyton Manning and all of those guys, Julius Thomas, Demaryius Thomas, Decker, Welker, all these backs all over the place, and compare them to the bunch that Tom Brady is playing with. And all the guys that he lost, his top five guys from last year, and now he's got all these new guys that he's getting it done with. But really, if you separate yourself emotionally, you'd, 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 you'd say the Denver Broncos receiving core and skilled players are better than the Patriots. Wouldn't you say that? Oh, absolutely. And, and, and they can't put – they can only put a key sleeve on one guy. So yeah. whatever, whatever you want to put him, you know, then the others are and, – and that's the thing where Denver gets you. Maybe your one matches up with their one, and you decide who that one is. Maybe your two does, but your three, four, and five just aren't yeah. going to be able to cut it against, yeah. you know, however you rank that, because you said it there, Julius Thomas, Demarius Thomas, Eric Decker, Wes Welker. I mean, my God, it just goes on and on. Um, and, and I got to, although there's a part of me, can you imagine if New England won and yeah. Seattle win? Okay. And we're going to New York now. Like Garrett Blunt and, and the Beast, you know, yeah. uh, uh, this, you know, <laughs> Marshawn, I'd say forget the team. Just put Marshawn Lynch and LeGarrette Blunt at opposite goal line and let them just go <laughs> smashing. And let them wrestle. Like <laughs> sports, you know, and let that be the uh, the, the winner because that could be one. That, in New York, boy, you talk about old school. But I'm with you. I just think Denver, 
Um, New, New England's going to be able to run the ball. Tom's going to make some play and play action fate and get it down the field. But uh, as brilliant as, as Bill Belichick is, I just don't know that he has the guns to stop uh, stop that great diverse you know, for Denver. Right. I don't know how he's doing it. I mean, coach to coach. I'm just watching this team, which really, I'm sorry, but it should have fell apart this year, okay? With all the changes they've made, with all the injuries, their two defensive captains are hurt. With Drod Mayo and Vince Wilfork and Brandon Spikes gone now, and Tommy Kelly, and then on and on and on. But their 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 captains are, have been hurt. And then with all these rookie receivers and new parts playing, most teams would have had a five and eleven season start over for next year. But here they are. Here they are, one game away from the Super Bowl. To me, it's 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 unbelievable performance. And playing with like 15 rookies too, okay? And they've got rookies all over starting on defense. And and I don't know how they do that. Now, of course, the quarterback helps, and Bill Belichick is 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 working miracles right now. It's amazing. This might be their best performance as coach and player. And I know they've had some great ones, but this is the one that makes me shake my head. Yeah, and Bill Belichick probably should have got coach of the year. We never consider him because he's been so good for so long. It's like, well, you don't, you know, he's, it's like Phil Jackson, you know, in the NBA. You just don't give him credit for all the success he's had. And mm-hmm. So I think we see it both the same way, the 49ers and, and the Broncos. Of course, we'll retake the Coach's Show podcast and pick the other one so we can go back and say, oh, no, no, we picked it, we picked it right. <laughs> we get to do that. You get to do that in the media right now. Well, that's it for the Coach Show podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and join us again next week. Thanks for listening.